Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the presence of Alexandra Dean. She is an award-winning director and producer. This year, 2020, she has released a YouTube original. It is the real story of Paris Hilton, an official documentary. It's entitled This is Paris. It's had more than 12 million views and counting. Our guest also directed the 2017 documentary Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story, which I highly recommend. So it's a great pleasure to welcome this talented filmmaker. First of all, congratulations, and thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I think a very good question to start is that I put these labels on you, that you're a filmmaker, a director, a producer. How do you define Alexandra Dean? Storyteller. A storyteller. Well, that's a good place to start. And this story that you told through film, the story of Paris Hilton, this is Paris Hilton. I'm curious to know, after having the chance to get to know her and document her on an up-close and very personal level, how would you define Paris Hilton? What is Paris Hilton like at heart? She's so many things, you know, I think that's part of what makes the documentary unique. It doesn't try and define her simply because she's a complicated person and she's also in the middle of a transformation. And so like an animal shedding its skin, you know, you see a little bit the old skin and you see between those gaps, a new one. So you see a person becoming someone else. And I tried to kind of leave breadcrumbs and clues throughout the film as to what I thought she was becoming. But, um, Paris at heart is in many ways the opposite of the woman that you have known all your life as Paris Hilton, the character. She's thoughtful, she's funny, she's antic, she can be very childlike, she's very sweet, she has a deep voice, she can be very boyish, hang out and sweat, sit and cross-legged on the floor, shoot the shit. Um, Just nothing, nothing like you expect. I know that you were approached with the idea of doing a documentary of Paris Hilton, but when you got the initial feeling like, okay, I'm on board, I'm going to do this. What was your initial purpose? Initially I was interested because I'd been on tour with bombshell for about a year and I'd been fielding all these questions about how we look at women today versus how we looked at them in Hedy Lamarr's time, which was the 30s and 40s and 50s. And, you know, people want to talk about how far we've come. And I kept kept thinking, I want to talk about how much we still need to evolve because I still don't think that women in the media spotlight are really seen. I still think that they're often caricaturized. And Paris came to me and said, this production company wants to do this film on me I resonated with your film because I re- I related to Hedy Lamar. I don't think anyone sees me for who I am. And I got to know her a little bit and I agreed with her. And I thought this is the follow-up to Bombshell because I need to talk about how we're still not seeing women today. It's different. 
but it's a similar blindness. I am sure, having watched the movie a couple of times now, there were things about Paris Hilton that surprised you a lot. And I'm wondering if you could tell the viewers what surprised you the most about this iconic woman? What surprised me the most is that she's been through profound, profound trauma. And that is something that has clearly shaped her. And I didn't want to say she wouldn't have become Paris Hilton. She very well might have, or a different kind of character. But this trauma drove the direction that the Paris Hilton character took and is responsible for many of the characteristics of Paris Hilton that make many people dismiss her. Hmm. You know, you were just mentioning just now about how people dismiss her. And I can recall when I'd never heard of Paris Hilton. And then it seemed like within a month, that was the only person that existed in the media. And I'm curious to know, when you saw people responding to her, when you saw people interacting with her, what would you say you saw from them? What did you observe when people were around her, people that didn't know her? Especially when we traveled internationally, I saw a frenzy around her, this this total devotion and love from the audience around her um, to the point that it didn't totally make sense to me because I felt that, you know, I had categorized Paris as the celebrity that had all her relevance in the early 2000s. You know, maybe she's a well-known DJ now, but I felt that, you know, in Korea, she may not have the same currency. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, people <laughs> just mobbed us. Mad. How do you think you would respond to that level of recognition, that level of frenzy, as you said? I have two answers to that. <laughs> okay. One is like, who doesn't love the fantasy of being adored that way? Sure. <laughs> we all love the fantasy of it. On the other hand, the little bit of real raw fame that I've witnessed being up close with Paris has made me horrified because actually I think what you're doing is standing naked on stage and inviting people to throw things at you. And um, many may embrace you in surprising ways, but you also have to endure that flip side. And, and I don't think I could do that. Hmm. Now that the film is completed and now that people are watching it, and I assume you've watched it from beginning to end. <laughs> <laughs> Only 43 million times. People say, you know, congrats on all the views on YouTube. And I say, well, you know, 11.5 million are me. <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think of, of your film? I think that the film, well, it's my baby, so I love it. But I think it's doing something very unusual. And I think... It's, it's gotten a, a big emotional response, which really makes me happy. But I think intellectually, a lot of people have puzzled over why and what it is. And I think that's because we're trying out a new genre here. And, and I was excited to do that and trepidatious. But it was really wonderful fun to ask myself, what does a psychological portrait look like of a celebrity? where we uncover layers of this persona and we try to get down through layers and layers of the character and the acting to something authentic and real. 
And I thought this genre needs to be invented because we are having this conversation about authenticity in our media and in our personal lives right now. And that conversation is really relevant. So the whole film is an exploration of if we can get to the authentic Paris. And it's, it's really a question mark. It isn't trying to make a statement. It's inviting you to come on a journey with me to uncover these layers of this person who was traumatized and see if we can figure out how she formed her character and, and if we start to peel away those layers of the character, who is she really? Hmm. What was it like dealing with such sensitive topics, things that had obviously created such a, a trauma, a bruise in someone's life? How was that for you? For me, it kicked up a lot of personal stuff because my own sister had been institutionalized at much the same age as Paris. And I went through a really brutal period watching that and thinking about it. And, and so I didn't know from that experience that you can't just talk to trauma victims the way you would talk to any normal interview, um, interviewee. You have to have a level of sensitivity that is something you learn by being around trauma victims. So especially with, with Paris, but also with all of the other women that had gone to Prevo with her, which is the school where she was abused, I spent a lot of time talking them through what we were doing, very gently directing, um, making sure everyone felt safe, and making sure that everyone felt that ultimately this wasn't going to trigger too many more nightmares, too many more downward spirals. Although, of course, it did for some people. It's a risky, difficult proposition. But in the end of the day, I think they all felt that it had a positive outcome. And that's what's important. What was your impression of meeting Paris Hilton's mother? That's yeah. a focal point in the film. And I'm hoping you can tell us about that. Kathy was really unsure whether she wanted to do this film. She had a lot of ambivalence. You know, she did think she would get targeted in the press for it. Um, she did it because Paris asked her to. Um, she was pretty defensive, I would say, with me to start with. I talked to her a lot about seeing what my sister went through and that I understood what had happened. And, you know, I think she did trust me and go out on a limb to do this film. And sometimes I read the comments and my heart breaks a little that she's getting quite a lot of abuse in the wake of this film because actually I didn't see it that way. My own parents struggled mightily with my sister who, who could be very out of control. And I know we say that and you know what that means, but in my family, for instance, my sister locked us in a room and we all had to escape. My father had to go to work that day with a fireman's ladder on the second floor of, my, of our house bedroom because that was the only way to escape. She locked the door bedroom door and all of us inside so you know somebody that out of control is difficult to manage in a day-to-day -day sense and when a school comes along and says we know how to help you you sign on pretty easily because you need a way up i was telling you before about how i had a phone call this was a few nights back with elliot mintz and for all the viewers out there elliot used to be her media consultant years and years ago, not that many years ago, but, uh, and also a good friend of hers. And 
I don't know. Have you met Elliot? I'm sure, I'm sure you have. I actually haven't met Elliot. I did know that he worked with her. Well, he, he watched the film and he's actually posted quite a bit about it on social media and whatnot. And he put something in my mind. I couldn't take credit for this, but we were talking about when anthropologists would take photos of indigenous people around the world. And there were elders in various tribes. They would say things like, we don't want you taking pictures of the children of our village. We don't want you taking these pictures anymore because a part of the soul of the person is taken in the process. And when you have somebody like Paris Hilton, for someone like myself who I'm not photographed when I'm buying groceries, (laughs) you know, and that's a blessing. But when you think about someone like her, who is photographed constantly, just sometimes without permission and, you know, all of that kind of thing, it makes you wonder why again and again and again, these people like in, in, in the, in the documentary, in your documentary, this is Paris. There's so many incidences where it shows her being photographed almost Mm. constantly. And I'm curious if I could get your take on that. What, what do you think about that, about what it must be like and why, what motivates someone to continue to allow that kind of exposure? Well, I think I make a thesis in the film. Uh, by placing very early in the narrative the fact that her father put her on camera very young. And I think for her that was an expression of love. And so that's why we begin with her saying, I was the oldest, my father was always filming me, and then going to these early videos, which we have many of, because he was always filming her, showing her on camera. And then Kyle Richards says, I think we focus too much on her beauty. Hmm. And you see her made up as a very young child, not even six, with lots of makeup on her face. And Kyle is saying to her, do you think you're beautiful? And she says, no, I think this rabbit I'm holding is beautiful. And you can see she doesn't have any self-consciousness yet, but you can see this lens is already trained on her. The beauty thing is already being remarked upon. So I think it's an external force that shaped her for sure. She had that magnifying glass on her from the beginning and she was called Paris Hilton. She was a brand before she could walk. So, and you know, I have footage at the end of the film of her walking on this little stage with her mother being sort of paraded around for everybody to see. Paris didn't have a chance not to live in the spotlight. And she became a beast of that world that she was born into. And she grew into a master of it. And I think that the film is constantly trying to make a commentary on that, that that, that narcissistic, Mirror is a, you know, is something that's given her a tremendous amount, but it's also a tremendous trap, and that she is only just beginning to realize that. Hmm. Wow. When somebody views this documentary, which anybody can go on YouTube and watch this now, is there anything you want them to consider when they're watching it? Yes, there's a chapter that I wasn't able to get into because the narrative actually doesn't follow her whole life. If you look closely, it begins with trauma then it goes back to childhood and starts to try and dig into how did this trauma affect this woman? 
And because you don't know the trauma yet, it's a bit of a mystery. And it goes really through childhood back to today, looking at how that trauma is playing out. And then it, it does take snapshots of the most famous moments of our life and put them into the context of what we're learning, like the sex tape. And the famous moment when she gave the middle finger on the cover of Vanity Fair or inside Vanity Fair. Um, but what it doesn't do is chart the rest of the rise of her fame and the simple life and everything that happened around the simple life and you know the, the amazing tabloid rise. That's all just presented at the beginning as kind of a, a nutcraft about who she is. And so I don't get to get into all of that, but what I would like people to th keep in mind when they now think about all of that, when she went to prison and all of that, think about it reframed in, in what you now know about Paris, because all of that has to be rethought. Like when she went to prison, she was reliving what she had gone through at Provo. She was going through real mental anguish and torture that nobody on the outside knew about. She was also getting death threats from people who had access to her in there. So she was in a horrible, horrible place. And we treated it like a circus, another chance to humiliate her, parade mm -hmm. her in front of a million cameras. She actually was never more photographed than in the prison. So, you know, I could have gone on and on examining her life and examining her wild period, periods she lashed out, periods that she may not be proud of looking back on now. Um, we could have re-examined all of that, but it would have been a very long documentary. And, <laughs> uh, and it was in many, you know, when, when I first made it and, and we tried to make it under two hours. But, you know, it is difficult to cover the entire life of Paris Hilton. My wife and I, we watched the Hedy Lamar documentary that you did, and we talked about it for a few days. And we, we were talking about it a week ago. Mm. And it's such a fascinating story. And I'm curious to know, you have the ability through your filmmaking art to tell stories to unbe an unbelievable number of people, even during this pandemic. Mm. And what is it like for you to have the ability to create something that good and bad, whatever, makes an impression on people? It occupies people's attention. It's extraordinary to have that kind of a platform. It's something I never dreamed of, really. I am just trying to have a conversation with myself in many ways in my art. They're these naughty, difficult questions that I, I want to talk about and understand. And with the Hetty film, it was about not having enough female icons to look up to in the past and wondering if they'd been erased. And with Paris, it was about having watched my own sister go through this trauma as a child. And, went, and she was a beautiful, brilliant, very bold, strong girl, but scary sometimes. She was very powerful. And I just wondered if we sometimes break young girls, if we're scared of them in a particular way, if we, if we want to protect them so much that we can't let them become who they need to be if they're powerful. And I wondered if who we've lost, if we don't let women mature into their own voices and become powerful the way they need to be. So it's related, but different. And so I, I'm having this conversation with myself, making the art. And I honestly... You know, when I'm making them, I never really think that many people are going to see them. It's, it's always a bit of a shock. Well, 
I always like to close the interview. I like to say that I give the guest the microphone. And this isn't limited in any way to filmmaking or Paris Hilton or Hedy Lamar or anything. I would just give you the stage for anyone who is viewing this, wherever they are, whenever they watch it or hear it, what would you say to that person? I would say if you have things you want to say and you want to talk about, um, and you think that the world needs to discuss them with you, you know, it's a really important time to try out your voice, especially if you're from a group that maybe hasn't historically had the, had the stage. Hmm. You know, for the first time we do have a stage, you know, maybe right now it's more female folk filmmakers getting that stage, but I think slowly many of us are trying to reach back and help BIPOC filmmakers, indigenous filmmakers, we want to bring everyone now on the stage. And we really need to help people not only have a voice, which is a sort of a basic thing to want for people and, and should have always been right. But we want people to speak in their own voice, in their own language. And one of the painful things I've learned as a filmmaker is a lot of the tastemakers and a lot of the gatekeepers are not people who are very diverse. And so they might not hear you speaking in your own voice. They hear you from the voice of the other. And, and you might find you know, your best discussions are with people like you, but we must actually encourage that. Even though filmmakers of different backgrounds speak in different voices, we must encourage that plurality of voices. And we must encourage ourselves to develop our own ears so that we can hear those other languages. You know, let people speak differently, let them cut and edit differently, let films resonate with you, but, but you don't necessarily understand them and they have to sit and marinate in you for a while because that means somebody's speaking in a slightly different language and it's new. Let's have some new, new stuff happen. Let's listen to some new people. Very well put. Well, Alexandra Dean, thank you so much for spending time with us. And I'm looking forward to more movies that you create. Thank you. It's an honor to talk to you. It's an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for so thoughtfully thinking about both films as well. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.